We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for 6-1-2008. And today we're going to be talking about dominionism, uh, this also known as reconstructionism, also known as kingdom now. Uh, it's also known in other terminology as well. But since we've been talking about the latter uh, Manifest Sons of God movement, the Latter Day Rain movement, uh, this whole Lakeland revival thing. We want to go ahead and touch on Dominionism, which is essentially one of the main concepts that is motivating this movement. So, this first particular document that we're looking at is entitled Dominion Theology, Kingdom Now Reconstructionism. Blessing or curse. There is a movement about that is casting a long shadow for its size. It is known as Reconstructionism, Kingdom Now, Theonomy, and or Dominion Theology, and is a curious blend of Reformed slash Calvinist theology and charismatic influence. So we're going to be talking about all those tenets today, and I'm not trying to particularly come down on any particular like I've got some hidden agenda, uh, I just want to, let's just try to be biblical when looking at this particular subject. That's all we're trying to do. It says, while there are relatively few who call themselves Reconstructionists, a number of the movement's ideas have infiltrated the thinking and actions of many professing believers, often them without even knowing it. This movement is led by such theologians as Ruas J. Rushduni, Gary North, Ray Sutton, Greg Bosson, yeah, Bosson, David Chilton, and by many charismatic leaders such as Earl Polk. But their ideas, and I know we had mentioned Earl Polk, I believe, in the latter reign, Sons of God uh, teaching as well. But their ideas are often reflected by non-reconstructionists such as Pat Robertson of the 700 Club, uh, Dr. D. James Kennedy, John Whitehead, Frankie Schaefer, and Jerry Falwell. In spite of the fact that many Dominionist re Reconstructionists are hyper-Calvinist, yet at the same time they write and speak as if they believe that they must help God to get things under control down here on earth. And that's the whole essence of this whole, uh, really, movement of, of man stepping in and trying to do what only the Lord Jesus Christ himself is going to be able to do. And really, that boils down to pride, too, if you think about it. And then it says, uh, this is done so that we can get the kingdom of God here now, or either, either at least what they consider to be their version of it, in order that the king himself can reign properly. Okay, and again, we're going to be really going into this a lot further, the whole concept. I'm just trying to lay some groundwork here to start out with. Dominion theology, the belief system behind Reconstructionist movement, teaches that through the coming of Christ, the believer has dominion over every area of life. We are now in the kingdom of God. Note the similar view of the kingdom that the vineyard movement takes as well as the plethora of Christian songs being written implying that we are in the kingdom at the present time. Now as a result, we sh it, they're implying we should be reigning with Christ over the earth right now. In other words, it's like we're in... Some believe, I believe, that, that we're in the actual literal thousand year reign of Christ at this point. So... 
there, there, again, there's different variations of this, so I can't be absolutely 100% dogmatic and say they all believe that in this specific way, because there's different variations and flavors of what we're going to be talking about today. So, if you hear me pausing and thinking these types of things today, it's because I'm trying to get a handle on a very complex subject. I really wasn't looking forward to doing this teaching in some ways because it's very complex, but I do believe it needs to be taught upon because this is the premise behind so much of the nonsense that we're seeing in charismatic circles, uh, in many different circles, because this has permeated so many different sects of Christianity today. Uh, Now this is another article entitled Notes on Reconstructionism, Roots of a New... Christian Inquisition. During the 1960s, a new movement began within the sphere of Reformed or Covenant theology. Now understand, this. Now, not to say you can't trace it back, roots of it further back, but for the purposes of today's teaching, during the 60s, a new movement began within the sphere of Reformed and Covenant theology, primarily out of conservative Presbyterianism, which was the Reformed and the Orthodox. So understand, this isn't just a hyper-charismatic thing here that we're dealing with. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that, that um, anyone who is either Reformed or Calvinist, or the, that, that they're all in agreement with every tenet of this. You can't do that with this particular subject. The problem is, is a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And that's the point I'm trying to key on today. Um some of the common denominators that we see here with this movement. This movement that has been called by three different names, Reconstructionism, because it advocates the reconstruction of society, that's why they call it Reconstructionism, Dominion Theology, because its theology teaches that biblical Christianity is to rule every sphere of society. Now that's only going to happen once Jesus comes back on, on the thousand year reign of Christ, and they're believing it's now prior to Jesus coming back, that we need to do it now, here on earth. We need to actually dominate and have dominion over every sphere of society. And then there's, it's also called theonomy, which is a combination of two Greek words, theos, which is God, and nomos, which is law. Because it asserts that all of society is to be brought into obedience to the Mosaic law. Now that's super dangerous. Uh, Now we're going back thinking that we're under Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant, and which does away with so much of essentially the New Testament, because the Bible says that Christ was a better covenant, um, and He redeemed us from the curse of the law, and these types of things. And if righteousness come by the law, then our faith is dead and in vain. So... Again, this is a lot of this is based on salvation by works if you really boil it down. I mean, you're going, what you're doing, I'm taking dominion. I'm keeping the Mosaic Law. I'm doing this. So now all of a sudden, here we go to salvation through works is, is really what this all ends up boiling down to. It should be noted that this movement is not advocated by everyone within the realm of Reformed or Covenant theology. Okay, so again, I'm not like trying to make some blanket statement that applies to every single person because that would be absolutely unfair. The Reconstructionist movement and its allies and offshoots by substituting political and cultural acclamation, a, cultural action 
for the proclamation of the gospel and by mangling the gospel itself have become tools of Romanist or Catholic political action. So what they're doing, they're substituting political and cultural action for the proclamation of the gospel, for truly glorifying the Lord. Okay? And when they do this, they mangle the gospel. And we're going to look at how that happens. Now, everything that I'm essentially reading from here, these are different quotes from different... um, reference quotes that I'm reading. Theonomy involves the application of the law of God. And the biblical law particularly to all of life. It also requires that one appeal to the whole law of God, including the civil law of the Old Testament, as necessary as a necessary supplement to being saved. Now let me read that again. This is from um, this is the source William Edgar, The Passing of R.J. Rushdooney, page 24 and 25. Theonomy involves the application of the law of God. In the biblical law, particularly to all of life, it also requires that one appeal to the whole law of God, including the civil law of the Old Testament, as a necessary supplement to being saved. Well, what does that mean? That means they're adding to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a supplement to being saved? Hmm. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For grace by you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That seems to be against the gospel to me, that last statement I just said. So, again, it says, as a necessary supplement to being saved by grace through faith. They even admit it. It's a supplement. It's in addition to. Well, what does that make it? That makes it another gospel. They're adding to the gospel, right? It's not, okay, yeah, they've got part of the gospel, but now they've added to it. So, you got to be real careful because the Bible says when you do that, you're bringing a curse, instead of cursed be these people to do this. Some of Rush Dooney's followers prefer to be called Reconstructionists because they believe it does a better job of conveying their positive outlook on life. (laughs) Oh boy. So, let's go further. Reconstructionism seeks to replace government generally. Reconstructionism seeks to replace government with a theocratic elite that would govern by imposing their interpretation of biblical law. That's dangerous. Their interpretation, we've already seen that their interpretation is pretty uh, suspect. And they're wanting to actually replace government with a theocratic elite. Hmm. Reconstructionism would eliminate not only the secular government, but many of its manifestations, such as labor unions, civil rights laws, and public schools. So severe is this theocracy that it would extend capital punishment beyond such crimes as kidnapping, rape, and murder to include, to include among other things, okay, this is capital punishment. This is, this is like, would be like, you could have the death penalty for committing blasphemy, heresy, adultery, and homosexuality. Now, I just don't remember in the New Testament where Jesus went around commanding us to, to uh, 
put people to death for these things. I understand under Old Testament Levitical law, many of these things were death penalties. That's true. And this is why they go back to the Old Testament to justify this. It's very easy to do if you go back to the Old Testament. If you put yourself under Old Testament Levitical law, sure. And that's what they're seeking to do. The Christian Reconstruction Movement, which we'll just call CRM, claims that believers possess a cultural mandate from God to reclaim in this age dominion over human society. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Okay? So if we were go, if, if Jesus said, you know, you need to go and you need to actually um, commit bloodshed and kill and do whatever it takes in order to establish my kingdom. But that wasn't the example he left us. Either in word or deed, was it? I mean, he went as a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't go around killing people and trying to take dominion over society. Okay, now there is going to come a time when that happens. Praise the Lord. You know, and I'm looking forward to that. But it wasn't um, it wasn't when he was here on earth. That was not the example Jesus Christ left to us. And if people would just get into their Bibles, get into their King James Bibles and read them, particularly the New Testament, and compare it to this, compare it to what they're being taught, let's say if you're in a real, you know, dominionism or, or reconstructionism, you know, you're going to see this does not line up with the scripture. Not every tenet, there's some things that do line up, obviously. Remember, it's just a little leaven that leaveneth the whole lump. So, but again, if they have their way, the logical end game conclusion of, of dominionism Reconstructionism would actually extend capital punishment to things like blasphemy, heresy, adultery, homosexuality, and that would be upon the interpretation of this theocratic elite that would be imposing the rules. I mean, you talk about a, a, a dictatorship. So, going back to this article, uh, They believe that this dominion was forfeited by the fall. In other words, when Adam in, in the Garden of Eden. But supposedly regained for immediate claim with the new birth, birth experience. In other words, evidently, dominion we lost dominion, we, we forfeited it by the fall through Adam. But now, through the new birth experience, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can actually get that back. As believers obey this mandate, gradually gaining dominion over earth's society, this present world will supposedly become Christianized, inaugurating the millennium. So again, there's different flavors of this. Some people believe that we're in the thousand year. Some people believe we're, we're going into it. Some people believe, I think it's already passed, possibly. I mean, if you believe in preterism, you believe it's already passed. And that's a whole other subject. So, I mean, if you believe in a thousand year reign, you, you believe it's already passed, if you believe in preterism. Anyway, that's, that's a whole other subject. But, the Bible says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived in 2 Timothy 3.13. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
that God is going to be the one that sends the strong delusion that they will believe a lie that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. It says in 1 Timothy 4.1 that in the latter times the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their consciences seared with a hot iron. You could go on and on and on quoting verse and verse and verse how it's going to get worse. That's, see, if you just look at that alone, this does not make sense. This dominionism, reconstructionism, theonomy stuff doesn't make sense. Because the Bible clearly predicted it was going to get worse, not better, in the end times. I mean, how could it get better if you just think about this logically? How could it get better knowing that the Antichrist is going to rule for seven years... He's going to deceive everyone through lying signs and wonders. Not not everyone, but, but most of the world. How could things be getting better and better and better leading up to that? Oh yes, we're going to have this wonderful Christian nation and we're going to... Go, uh, well, you've got to pretty much throw out tribulation then. You've got to pretty much throw out the fact that the Antichrist is... I mean, just a lot of Daniel. See... There's so many things you have to ignore and overlook in the Bible in order to justify this position. That's the problem. In reality, if affected, the entire society would be replaced under an Old Testament theonomy law system. The entire society rather than the New Testament teaching of believers as a group of called out saints from the world. You know, be not of the world, wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And it says they want to apply Old Testament law to today's society. This includes slavery as an alternative to prisons and capital punishment for a variety of offenses um, and we already talked about that. This view advocates the reconstructionism of society as a theocracy and is heavily post-millennial. Okay, so define this a little bit further. With the post-millennialism view, these people that advocate the heavy post-millennial view are believing that they're going to usher in this this thousand year reign, okay, and, and that that's going to enable, I would imagine, Christ to actually come back. Okay, they're enabling Christ. Premillennialism, which is the the stance that that we take, and I believe is is the biblical stance, is Christ is coming back, but He's going to do it. He's going to set up the thousand year reign after the tribulation. Yes. Now, see what's again, and we're going to probably talk about this more, but what's can you see the appeal to the dominionism thing? Can you see how they're willing to overlook and ignore a lot of things? Because if, if you believe in premillennialism, that means that, wow, especially if you believe in, in uh, premillennialism and you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, wow, I might have to really suffer. I might have to really, really, really suffer here. That's not going to be real popular. You're not going to sell a lot of books. You're not going to make a lot of money. You're not going to get a lot of whatever. And I don't want to get into a rapture debate, okay, about this whole thing. I'm just saying that that with the premillennial view, the potentiality to suffer is much higher, okay? And people don't want to suffer. People want to believe everything's going to be roses and buttercups, 
and they're not going to have to suffer. And the thing is, is that you look at, okay, let's look at Christ. Did he suffer? Huh. Yeah, I think we could say he suffered unbelievably. Did the apostles suffer? Yeah, I'd have to say so. Uh, what about all the martyrs? Okay, are we better than, number one, our Savior? Ask yourself this question. Are we better than the apostles? Are we better than the martyrs? I don't think so. If you think you are better, you're delusional. So, the example and the precedent that we already have, you know, just look at that alone. Dominionism, on the other hand, is very appealing to the flesh. Because, hey, not only is there pride mixed in with that, because, hey, listen, I'm going to help usher in the kingdom. I am going to help bring Christ back. I'm not going to have to suffer either because it's going to get better and better and better. We're going to take dominion over the earth. See, if you just look at it from that standpoint alone, you can see why so many people advocate this. The problem is you just have to ignore large sections of scripture in order to do this. Let's go further. This is an article entitled Dominionism and the Rise of Christian Imperialism. Throughout the 2,000 year history of Christianity, there has been a vein of dominionism embedded in the strata of different doctrines. This seam has ebbed and flowed for over 20 centuries. So again, I wanted to say, you know, it's not just something that's some little aberration that just, just happened, okay? This has been, as they say, ebbing and flowing for, for 20 centuries. Sometimes it's submerged and sometimes it's been exposed. Whenever it was out in the open, it has given rise to horrible abuses done in the name of Christ. Now, the most obvious thing you can think of is the Catholic Church. You know, he believes, I mean, the Pope believes he is the vicar of Christ. What does that mean? Well, he's the substitute Christ. That's what vicar means, substitute. He's the substitute Christ on earth. They also believe that he can't sin. He is the substitute Christ on earth. What would that imply? That would imply the Pope is like Jesus Christ on earth. Well, if Jesus Christ really were on earth, wouldn't he have dominion over it? Yeah. If he was the real Jesus Christ, sure. I mean, when he comes back. So, they believe they have this mandate to go out and, and to truly take dominion. Now, this can no better be exemplified when you look at, like, the, uh, the Inquisition and the slaughters that took place and all these things. What was it was done? Hey, they, they tried to do it, justify it in, in the name of Jesus Christ. They would go out and torture and do unbelievable things to these people. Many of them were true born-again Christians. And they were all supposedly doing it, you know, through their justification of, of wanting the, you know, the Catholic Church to have dominion over earth. Dominionism is always an aberration of true Christian theology. See, that's why I wanted to bring that up, because it's very, very dangerous stuff we're dealing with here. Really dangerous. A remnant of believers has always opposed it. Prophet suffering a martyr's fate at the hands of intolerant dominionists. Again, I think of the Catholics as probably the best example, unless you know of a better example. The gospel of salvation is by... F what's that? So, 
the gospel of salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and he shed blood on the cross. The emphasis is placed upon repentance and conversion of individual souls. The kingdom of God in this age is a spiritual is spiritual and grows through the efforts of evangelism based upon the teaching of the Bible. It is not of this world, according to John 18.36, but a spiritual rule in the hearts of men. Luke 17.20-21 Furthermore, the kingdom of God is only finally realized upon Christ's second coming to earth, as far as a literal kingdom. Whereby, he himself establishes his literal and physical thousand-year reign of Christ. Um... Christ never intended that his gospel should be propagated by fire in the sword or or his righteousness wrought by the wrath of man. When the high praises of God are in our mouth with them, we should have an olive branch of peace in our hands. Christ's victories are by the power of his gospel and grace over spiritual enemies in which the believers are more than conquerors. The word of God is a two-edged sword, Hebrews uh, 4.12, and the sword of the Spirit, which is Ephesians 6.17. This is why I always emphasize the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's how we really do battle. Okay, it's not a literal battle where you go and chop people's heads off. It is a, we battle not against flesh and blood, Remember? Ephesians 6, but against princes, principalities, rules of wickedness in high places, these types of things. So our battle is really a spiritual battle. If we want to focus on the flesh and go out and lop people's heads off, we're really not in the will of the Lord. Biblically speaking, at all. The gospel of salvation is achieved by setting up kingdom of God is a literal and physical kingdom to be advanced on earth in the present age. Some dominionists liken the New Testament kingdom to the Old Testament Israel in ways that justify taking up the sword or other methods of punitive judgment to war against the enemies of their kingdom. Hey, if, if all we had to go by was the Old Testament, I could see how that would happen. I really do. But remember, <laughs> we have the New Testament. They assign to the church duties and rights that belong scripturally only to Jesus Christ. This includes the esoteric beliefs that believers can incarnate Christ. Ah, now this is where we see a lot of this in the charismatic circles as well. Where they, they start, they're, they're starting to believe they are as gods. They're, they're little Christ on the earth. A lot of the televangelists go around saying, you're little Christ. And, and... They can actually incarnate Christ and function as His body on earth to establish His kingdom rule. An inordinate an, an emphasis is placed on man's efforts. That's the thing. They're taking dominion through their own efforts. And as a result, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is diminished. There are three predominant sects that propagate dominion theology which hold considerable influence over evangelical circles. Number one, the spiritual warfare prayer movement. The kingdom of God must be advanced on earth through hyper-spiritual warfare 
activities against the devil. Now, I have a lot of experience with this because I came out of the hyper-charismatic Pentecostal thing and was always checking into different ministries like YWAM, Youth with a Mission, Praying Through the 1040 Window. Maybe I heard that one. Oh, yeah. And... Now, again... Listen, I do think prayer is incredibly important. Okay? And and yes, I do think there's biblical elements in regard to praying against wicked things and these in these types of things. I think there's a lot of scriptural precedent for that. But their motivation is because they believe they're actually going to take dominion on the earth. So see their their motivation in the prayer is all wrong. Only Christ is going to bring back the literal thousand year reign and only He can do that. But they believe they're doing it through their warfare prayer. Which is really pride if you think about it. They're doing something only Jesus Christ. They think they're doing something only Jesus Christ can do and prophesy in His word He will do. A veritable supermarket of verbal and physical prayer techniques such as chanting, walks, marches are employed in this effort. Now a lot of this gets into the whole emerging church, new age, mantra, prayer stuff that you, that you run into. Believers are told their prayer power creates spiritual canopies over regions, preparing the way for revival. If this is the case, why isn't real, true revival? Oh, it, it is breaking out. Just look at Lakeland. Oh, yeah, okay. If that's what you think real revival is, uh, you really need to go back to square one in the Bible. Because if it is a true revival of God, it will line up with God's Word. Remember, the Bible says to test the spirits to see if they be of God. Well, just compare it with the Word of God. Everything should be done in decency and order. Well, okay, these revivals are like pandemonium. People are drunk in the spirit. The Bible says that we're supposed to live sober, righteous, and especially the men of God. Isn't there like a whole category of things that they should be? You know, husband of one wife, grave, sober, not double-minded, not given to filthy lucre. Remember all those things? that? Well, I don't really see any of that in the modern-day televangelist movement, especially Todd Bentley. Well, what about avoiding all appearance of evil? Well, you know, being covered head-to-toe in tattoos might just be a little, kind of a red flag there. Having some of the most demonic tattoos I've ever seen. Flames, hexagrams, one look like an alien. Uh, he's got piercings all over his body. The guy looks like a, a Hell's Angels biker. He was he was convicted and at the age of 14 for molesting a 7-year-old boy, sexually molesting a 7-year-old boy at the age of 14. Served 18 months in jail and he admits to this. Huh, how could that person ever be above reproach? How could he ever flee all appearance of evil? with all the things that he's done and set him up so wouldn't that have at least disqualified him from the ministry? How could you have done all those things and not be disqualified as a supposed pastor? He summons this angel called Emma and if we look that angel up it's, it's uh, essentially one of the ruling principalities of hell. He's obsessed with angels, financial angels, all these other things. See, this stuff doesn't line up with the Word of God. 
So I know it's not of God. By the fruit she shall know them. Oh, it doesn't matter, brother, as long as people are getting healed. Last count, I heard 13 people were raised from the dead. Well, you know what? I really want to see the death certificates. I really want to see death certificates on every single one of these people. And then that there are... Now, remember, Satan says that when he comes, he's going to come with all lying signs and wonders. All we got to do is look at the fruit. Just, just look at the things I just said to know it's not of God. It's all I need to know. I don't care how many people are supposedly getting healed. To me, that's irrelevant because the devil can heal. He does it through New Age circles. He does it through satanic altar calls, things of this nature. Happens all the time. And it's only going to get worse. If you're basing what you believe on somebody getting healed and that healing doesn't line up with the Word of God, you're being deceived. You're being deceived. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. That's what Jesus Christ said. And that's the primary and chief way the Antichrist is going to deceive the whole world through lying signs and wonders and miracles. Well, this is just a precursor to that. It's, if you think it's bad now, you've seen nothing yet. So, going back to this article, it says, In this sense, prayer warfare is seen as a preparatory work so that the two other movements, so that the other two movements can build the kingdom. And I, we're going to talk about those in a second, the other two. Recently, this contemplative prayer movement, which includes meditation, fasting, and labyrinths, now labyrinths, I've discussed that before, it's, it's part of the emerging contemplative prayer movement from the New Age, from really Catholic, Catholics started this a long time ago, through the monks and things like that. It's demonic, this stuff. But through this contemplative prayer movement, this has brought into the spiritual warfare prayer arsenal. This is one of the things they're using now. Prayer serves as a convenient decoy for covert operations. All three sects are utilizing massive statistical data banking resources, uh, like the World Prayer Center in Colorado Springs, and sophisticated psychosocial group manipulations to forge kingdom transformation. One key leader of this sect is Cindy Jacobs, who closely associated with C. Peter Wagner. Her website, www.generals.org, generals, epitomizes the militant doctrines and practices of the spiritual warfare sect. Now, I remember this one guy came out with this book and he called it God's Generals. I think it was Roberts Laridan. He came to this Pentecostal church that I was at. And it wasn't too long after that he was caught up in some homosexual liaison. And all the people that he had listed in there as God's generals, like A.A. A. Allen and Catherine Kuhlman and all of the great, nutty, charismatic deceivers, all of them had a laundry list of absolutely ungodly, unbiblical things that they were teaching and or were personally happening in their personal life. Amy Semple McPherson. Oh man, you could go on about her all day long. But he listed these as God's generals. Even though women aren't supposed to be at the head of their own ministries according to the Bible. 
I mean, if a woman is not qualified to be a pastor, according to the Bible, remember, the Bible says the pastor, the deacon, the bishop, the spiritual overseer is to be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. It's such a foregone conclusion, they don't even mention that a woman should be the head of their own ministry. It's such a foregone conclusion. I'm not saying that to be a chauvinist. I'm saying it because it's biblical. Now, I have whole teachings I've done on this. Um, if you just key in women in the little keyword box on my homepage and you'll find it. The biblical role of wives and what women can do for the Lord. But these people like Catherine Kuhlman and Amy Semple McPherson and so many women that are the heads of their own ministries today, that's not biblical. It is not biblical. Number one, they're teaching men. How could you not? If you're up on the internet or the airwaves and you have your own whatever, or if you have your own church or your own movement, how can you not teach a man? So, again, I've already addressed that in the other things I've mentioned, but there's a lot of this in the Pentecostal circles. In fact, because I came out of it, I can say this. You know, I noticed that the women really, from my standpoint, dominated the, the hyper-Pentecostal charismatic sex. And, and they do... They're more the people that I've noticed many times that spend hours in prayer and do this supposed spiritual warfare. I mean, I had a dear friend and, and she was doing this, you know, according to her, staying up like all night in prayer, every single night. Do you know she had more problems and personal issues and, and with her family and herself than anybody just about I had ever been around? Charismatic women in particular have more baggage and problems than anybody I've, I've truly ever been around. Well, you can say, well, that's because the devil's attacking them because they're doing the Lord's work. Why? What I don't understand is why don't they have any protection from the Lord? All they ever do is have massive problems every single day. And it's always demonic. And it's always like, oh, you, you don't believe the warfare I've been under. It's every single day. It never, ever ends. And it's as though God is inept. And He can't protect them. If you're around them for long enough, that's the impression you start to get. Which is not really a good thing to be putting out there to other people. Most of the people that would be looking from the outside in, particularly if they're not Christians, would think they're crazy. There's a lot of interaction with these women, particularly, and I don't mean to just pick on the women, but I'm saying, I've been around enough of the movement to know that the women really dominate the charismatic, Pentecostal, spiritual issues, it seems. They really do. It's not because I hate them. Okay, I have many that, that I mean, I love them, but, but my word, they're, they're, it's just unbelievable. And this one particular lady that I mentioned, you know, there were so many unbiblical things she was doing. You know, Sky Angel was on 24-7. She believed that kept the devil out of her house. Sky Angel. And you've got all these apostate, reprobate televangelists on Sky Angel. In beaming this into your house, you're actually attracting devils. But she, she didn't comprehend that. She had no comprehension of the 501c3 church whoring itself out. She did have a concept of the King James Bible, I will say that. But the Bible says 
to whom a man has overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. When you listen to all these different various and sundry televangelists spew out their own unbiblical doctrine, TV show after TV show, don't think it's not going to start affecting you. I mean, if faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, what if all you're hearing is this televangelist mumbo-jumbo? Don't you think that's going to start affecting the way you're thinking, the way you're looking at life? Hey, man, you turn on the 700 Club, that's, that's impressive. I mean, you see, oh, you know... Um, I prayed and prayed and prayed and God spoke to me to give, a, you know, triple or quadruple my giving to the 700 Club and now I'm driving a whatever Cadillac and I paid off all my bills and all this other stuff. And these people are very sincere and so much of this stuff is very, very impressive when you, when you hear it. But the thing is, is you have to start comparing it with the Word of God. Oh, Doug just informed me about a wonderful testimony along these lines that we're talking about of a couple they knew, good friends, Assembly of God, and they believed this thing about the TBN uh, thing so much that they kept it on, what, 24-7? That it actually, you know how like in TBN... There, there's like the little logo, I believe it's at probably the bottom right hand corner probably, where it has the little logo and with the phone number because you got to always have the phone number to call and give the money they kept it on so long on this big screen TV that it actually burned itself into the, into the tube or whatever it was and when they turned it off, they could still see the TBN and the number on the TV. And it didn't matter how long it was, it was turned off. It was on there all the time. And they were proud of that. Because they believed that that kept every devil and demon away. Oh, you know, the devil eats that up. He just eats that up. Now, I will say, I believe something that is good to do is at some place in your house to keep the King James Bible on 24-7. I know that the Bible says that His Word will not return void. Okay? And I know that sure can't hurt. That's my version of the 24-7 TBN thing. Okay? And particularly keep on the book of Revelation if you really want, if you're really having a lot of... Because that reminds the devils of their future and they don't want to hear that. Okay? So that's what I advocate people do. I think that's one thing that's very safe to do. Uh, and there's nothing evil about it, it's just the Word of God. I, I do it 24-7 in, in my house. So, But that's their version of it, this, this TBN thing. So if we go further, our calling is to be worshippers, warriors, and workers. We must first offer, now this is a quote from one of the kingdom... Dominionist movements. Our calling is to be worshippers, warriors, and workers. We must first offer our lives as a living sacrifice in order to worship in, in worship to God. From our worship will flow our intercession and warfare as we fight with weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in our left. Only after we have worshipped our God and fought the fight in the Spirit, we will proceed to work in the harvest fields, advancing the kingdom of God. Now again, they're believing that they're literally setting up the kingdom of God right now on earth.
that was a this is a highly referenced article I'm reading from. Promoting these prayer warfare activities are hyper charismatics from the signs and wonders movement. Which includes self-anointed, self-appointed apostles and prophets who are preparing to govern the world through the latter, through the new apostolic reformation. So see, now they've got all these, these people, that they're self-appointed apostles and prophets, okay? And they're preparing to govern the world through this new apostolic reformation, through this dominionism. And that's why you're seeing a lot of this stuff pop up. This dominionist sect is a different offshoot, is a direct offshoot of the latter rain cult, which we talked about in the previous teaching. Also known as Joel's army or the manifest sons of God. Now that's one of the reasons I, I did this teaching today, because we talked about Lakeland, we talked about the manifest sons of God movement and Joel's army, and this, this absolutely is part of it. In fact, this is the foundation for most of it. This is how they justify doing what they do, this dominionism um, theology. The chief architect of this movement for the past two decades has been C. Peter Wagner, president of Global Harvest Ministries and chancellor of the Wagner Leadership Institute. His spiritual warfare teachings have been widely demonstrated Disseminated, I'm sorry, disseminated through mission networks such as AD 2000, which is closely associated with the Lusane movement, or the Lusane movement. A prominent individual connected to the sect is Ted Haggard. Oh boy, current head of the National Evangelical Association, National Association of Evangelicals. Well, no, Ted's actually not. No. Ted got, as you know, probably by now, caught up in a little, uh, no big, homosexual tryst where he was paying a gay prostitute, much younger than him, and doing drugs with him to have, you know, sex and these types of things. And Ted got caught. Ted got caught. And um, he had to step down from his church, and um, he had to step down from this head of the National Association of Evangelicals, you know, much to his chagrin. And so, yeah, Ted, Ted's not, he's not doing that. Now, I, last time I heard from Ted, he was still begging for money, though. He was still asking people to, to send him money. Because he was kind of coming under hard times, because, hey, he's not the head of this anymore, and he's been exposed. And Now, all you would have to do, much like Todd Bentley in Lakeland, all you would have to do is look at Ted Haggard to know the man's evil. I'm sorry. There's some people, all you've got to do is look at them to know they're evil. Ted Haggard just, I can't even hardly stand to look at him. He's so evil. And so many of these high-level evangelical guys like this are homosexual, closet homosexuals. Well, who else? Well, how about Paul Crouch, for starters, head of TBN, who had got caught having gay sex with a black man 20 years his junior, I believe at least, who was a chauffeur driver, who was a um, he was a convict that gotten out of prison, became a chauffeur driver, and he was having sexual affair with this, his, I believe his name was Lonnie Ford. I had an whole article I've sent out on this. And it was well known regionally in the papers there. Now, I never really made it into national news because people 
things like TBN are being used by the New World Order in order to brainwash the masses, so they don't exactly want to expose every one of them. I mean, I know Jimmy Swaggart went down, and then that one guy, uh, what's that? Baker. He went down. Yes, they do want to ex expose people in the supposed pseudo-Christian movement as hypocrites, and then, and, you know, they are. Let's face it. And I, not because I mean I think I'm perfect or wonderful or I'm, I'm living sinless perfection or whatever, but these are these are some really big big time things that they're they're doing here, and uh, they want to discredit Christianity is what they're really trying to do and leaven it as much as possible. But yeah, this stuff happens. So if we go further. This is another quote here. Since 2001, the body of Christ has been in the second apostolic age. Now, this is C. Peter Wagner. He's the member. He's one of the main guys that started a lot of this in the charismatic circles. Since 2001, the body of Christ has been in the second apostolic age. Oh, is that so? I didn't know that, Doug. I mean, we, we missed out on the boat, I guess. The apostolic prophetic government of the church is now in place. That's why there's so many, all of a sudden, we've got apostles and prophets. Why is it that we would go back a hundred years ago and within any kind of biblical church, there was no apostles or prophets? Now, does that mean God couldn't do that if He wanted to? I'm not saying that. I'm not going to try to play God. All I'm saying is if you're a true apostle or prophet, you better be able to do the things that the apostles and the prophets did in the Bible. And you better be able to get it right 100% of the time. Why? Well, just go to Deuteronomy 18 and see what the test of a prophet was at the very end. And essentially, if he was of God, whatever he said, he would get right 100% of the time. Okay? Not like the psychics or the New Agers who get it right 50% of the time at most. And probably they don't get it right that much either. If they were a true apostle and prophet of God, why aren't they living in accordance with the Word of God? Why are they doing so many extra things and adding to the Word of God and taking away from it? And there's this severe penalty for this at the end of Revelation where you know you add to the things of this book and I will add to you the plagues of this book. You take away and I'll take away your part out of the book of life. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to mess, try to mess with the Word of God so much and give all these supposed new, new wine and fresh anointings and you know this, all these these new things, these, this new move of God that adds to the Word of God and takes away from it at the same time? Do you realize how serious that is? Do you realize what kind of judgment you could be bringing yourself under by doing that? But they do it all the time. They live in it. They live for something new that God's doing. But the vast majority of the time, what they believe God is doing is unbiblical. It doesn't line up with the Word of God. It's very dangerous stuff we're talking about here. I mean, and, and again, I really believe it harkens back to 1 Timothy 4. That in the end times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
See, if you're participating in the stuff, and let's say you're listening to me today, and you're participating in this, and what I'm saying to you doesn't phase you. It doesn't phase you at all. It doesn't phase you that so much of what you're doing doesn't line up with the Word of God. All you know is it feels right and you know God spoke it to you. Even though what this supposed God is telling you or what this angel is telling you doesn't line up with the Word of God, you would choose to believe that rather than the Word of God. Which is, that's basically par for the course if you're in this movement. And what I'm saying to you doesn't phase you, it doesn't convict you at all. All you know is what you know and what you feel because your heart tells you so. And the Bible says the heart, is, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Jeremiah 17, 9. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 26, 28. Or 28, 26. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Okay, so, Proverbs 16, 3, I believe. You have all these things in there warning about believing your heart, and you're participating in these things, and you believe you're hearing from God, even though what you're hearing from God doesn't line up with the Word of God. You have no conviction at all about your own sin, or really anyone else's. Have you given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, like it said in 1 Timothy 4, 1, that in the latter times that's what's going to happen? Are you speaking lies and hypocrisy? And have you had your conscience seared with a hot iron? He that judgeth the matter, before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. Proverbs 18.13 Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter, and darkness for light, and light for dark. Woe unto them that do that. That's what they're doing. That's what Todd Bentley's doing. He's calling evil something good. And it says, Woe unto them that do these things. What if you're one of those people? And like what I'm saying to you, all it's doing is angering you. You don't care about what the Word of God says. You could care less. Because you know that God's spoken to you. Even though it doesn't line up with the Word of God. And obviously what that means is you haven't test, tested the spirits to see that if they be of God. Because if they were of God, they would line up with His Word. And I mean the King James Bible. What if you're in that position? That's not an enviable, enviable position. Because once you get your conscience seared, how do you get it unseared? How do you get your conscience unseared? It's like that, book, that part that talks about in Hebrews where it talks about it's impossible again to renew them under repentance with those that have tasted of the heavenly gift and these types of things. If they turn away and they go back and they go into perdition, it's, it's impossible to renew them again under repentance. They don't think they need to repent. They're in God's perfect will. They're hearing from God all the time. Their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. They have no more conviction anymore about any of this. It doesn't matter. Don't confuse them with the facts because their mind is made up. They've chosen to follow lying signs and wonders and believe the little voice in their head 
Or maybe it's a real audible voice. Hey, maybe they can... I know a lot of these Pentecostals say they can see into the spirit realm. I can see angels all the time. It's kind of funny. I don't remember the apostles saying that or, you know, the... Uh, now, again, sometimes people have, at the end of their life, they can have experiences where they see these things. But I'm talking about all the time. In witchcraft, what is that called? Where you can see into the spirit realm all the time. It's called having your third eye opened. It's a, And it takes a lot, a very, very high level of witchcraft to attain this. Unless you were born with enough generational curses and enough generational witchcraft in your lineage that you've had your third eye open from birth. Which some people have that. A lot of these indigo children have that. Okay, it's demonic. It's not something we should strive for. But they, oh, they see them all the time. They see angels and talk to them and interact. And oh, oh hey, Benny Hinn and all these supposed Dodge Generals guys. It happens all the time to them. Why aren't these angels or these entities that are appearing to them confirming the word of God, rebuking them for their, for their sin. Why, why is it in places like Lakeland and things of this, why, if it was truly a revival of God, why would God omit the weightier matters and just key on these people being blessed when there's all kind of unbelievable, abject sin in the church going on at such an incredibly high level if it was truly a move of God, why wouldn't God start there? Jesus says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. To acknowledge that you are a sinner, to acknowledge that you're, that you're living in sin, is kind of the bedrock of where it starts. It doesn't start, oh God bless me because I'm so worthy of it. You're the only thing we're all worthy of, including myself. In, in fact, put me at the top of the list is death and hell. That's the only thing I'm worthy of apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. I admit it. But no, not them. They're better. They're better than us. They're holier than thou. As the Bible talks about in Isaiah. Holier than thou. That's what you've got going on in the Pentecostal church. They believe they're the only ones that are right with the Lord. Oh, they pray in tongues. They hear personal prophecies. They give personal prophecies. The thing that doesn't make any sense, again, is if you look at that, is if God was really working through that movement, why wouldn't He, number one, be rebuking the church for all of the flagrant, sin that is within the church. Wouldn't God start there? No, brother. He's just going to start with the lying signs and wonders and miracles because we deserve to be blessed. See, for, if you just look at it from that standpoint alone, it doesn't make sense. Now, we've, we've looked at it from a lot of different angles today already and I'm not even near through this teaching yet. All you'd have to do is look at it from one of those angles to at least question it heavily. Oh no, we can't question it because I know it's in my heart. My little heart wouldn't deceive me. Listen to your heart. Isn't that what the world says? Isn't that what Satan says? It doesn't it say that Satan can come as a line signs and wonders and that when he comes, he can come as an angel of light and it's no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness whose end is, whose end is according to their works. He can come and does come as an angel of light. 
you open the door to that deception willingly, He will come in. So, this is uh, going back to the C. Peter Wagner quote. He says, God has already raised... Well, hold on. He says, we began to build our base by locating and identifying with the intercessory prayer movements. This time, however, we feel that God wants us to start governmentally connecting with the apostles of the region. So see, now they're, 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 they're pulling in their government they're going to set up on this planet, literally. They're going to connect that with the, their apostles. God has already raised up for us a key apostle in one of the strategic nations of the Middle East. And other apostles are already coming on board. Well, we just got apostles, you know, everywhere, Doug. You know, they're going around, Doug. I, I see them everywhere. They're going around healing everybody. They're drinking poison and not dying. They're getting bit by serpents and not dying. You know, they're speaking, you know, in, in tongues. Well, hey, yeah, they're speaking in tongues. But what are they really saying, I wonder? Do you know a lot of people that, that, that were in the tongues? And hey, I know I've been there, done it. Okay, I'm not judging. Been there, done it. But so many people that are in the tongues movement, like, you hear these stories about where they go to Africa and they start speaking in tongues and people hear them in their own voice and they, they turn to them and ask them, why are you cursing God in our tongue? And they don't even know they're doing it. That's what I'm saying. Be very careful with this stuff. Okay, so for example, um, you know, even, even in our study here, um, We have a lady that when she was speaking in tongues, when she came out of the Pentecostal movement, which I guess three out of four of us have come out of, or three out of five have come out of the Pentecostal movement, hyper-charismatic, she was calling out to Kali when she was speaking in tongues. Now, Kali is the second highest deity in the Hindu uh, pantheon of gods, only second to Shiva, who is the god of destruction. Shiva is supposedly Kali's dad. Kali is the goddess of death. She has six arms, and she's always portrayed with six arms. She has this really long, nasty tongue. She's like nine or ten feet tall. She's a very, very, very high-level fallen angel is essentially what you have here. Okay? It's the god of death in Hinduism. She was calling out to her, not knowing what she was doing. Who knows what I called out to when I was into the nutty stuff with the tongue talking and all this other stuff. Now, do I do I, am I just dogmatic saying no, God could never ever have biblical tongues again? I'm not gonna go there either. Okay, all I'm saying is what I see associated with the tongues movement always seems to fall with very, very much many, many unbiblical things going on at the same time. So how can I how can I assume that that's something that's of God when it's when you've got all this other pandemonium and chaos going on? Also knowing out that many times that these people are heard cursing God when they speak in tongues. If I go back to this article, it says, uh, see Peter Wagner quote, he says, This time, however, we feel that God wants us to start governmentally con connecting with the apostles of the region. God has already raised up 
for us a key apostle in one of the strategic nations of the Middle East. And the other apostles are already coming on board. Oh good, I'm so glad we got all the apostles on the same page. Well, you have to have that in order to have the one world government, or the one world religious system, right Doug? Right Lisa? You've got to have all that together. Once we have the apostles in place, we will then bring the intercessors and the prophets into the inner circle. Oh, good. Uh, and then we will end up with the spiritual core we need to move ahead for retaking the dominion that is rightfully ours. End of quote. Taking the dominion that is rightfully ours? Man. Rightfully ours. And you notice how many Bible verses he quoted along the way. You know. Okay, so we talked about the. We were talking about now the uh, the three sects of evangelical dominionism. We talked about the first sect being spiritual warfare prayer movement, and we're going to go next to mission as transformation movement. Now, I'm going to go ahead and end here, part one, and we'll pick this one up in part two.